Well, good morning again. Welcome to this worship gathering of Redeemer Church of Dubai. My name is Dave Furman. I serve as the senior pastor here. It's great to celebrate Jesus with you. Uh, over the next few weeks, we'll take a bit of a break again from First Peter. We'll be looking at Jesus and his birth, which you'll see there in your bulletin. We'll hear from Josh Manley next Friday, the church planter we're sending up to RIK, and then our own Jason Barris on the 28th, and then I'll be uh, leading us in preaching on Christmas Eve in our service uh, on the Lord at his birth. And I do encourage you to invite people to that service. We have smaller invite cards along with these bigger ones, lots more out at the welcome table. So take as many as you want and please do hand those out. And let's be in prayer as a church that many would come to faith there on Christmas Eve as we look at the greatness of our Lord Jesus. Well, let's pray as we begin here this morning. Heavenly Father God, we ask that as we open your word and look at instruction to husbands in First Peter, Father, we pray that it would have a dramatic effect on our hearts today. God, would it transform us? Would we not leave this room unchanged, God, but would there be radical renovation of our hearts this morning? Would your spirit move? Would your spirit be in our presence today to guide us, direct us, rebuke and convict us and comfort us today? Oh Lord, we pray that your word would be sweet to our souls this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I recently heard a news story from the past year entitled, What Every Married Couple Should Know. In this article, it showed that more and more people in the government and in military are realizing that married couples need training in how to be married. So various militaries around the world are offering marriage seminars and marriage courses. Churches, community centers hold various retreats. And the writer says that at the core of this movement, it was asked of every divorcee, everyone that's been divorced, what if the truth was that you didn't marry the wrong person, but you just didn't know how to be married? Well, now, this wasn't a religious organization, but they did quite a lot of research over the past decade. And their work showed that virtually all couples disagree more or less the same amount. Their work showed that couples that are happily married in the gray hair season of life and those who are newly married going through a rocky season as they chase kids around in nappies, they all disagreed about the same amount. Well, the study also showed that all couples argue about the same things. Money, intimacy, family, kids, how they use their time. In fact, the average couple, uh, for the average couple, 69% of these disagreements are truly irreconcilable. For example, a morning bird and a night owl won't fully eliminate their differences, nor will a spendthrift and a penny pincher. What distinguished them was how creatively and constructively they managed those differences. The studies show that those who leave marriages over irreconcilable differences will find the same problems and arguments in the next one. The studies show that while 40% of first marriages end in divorce, 60% of second marriages, and 70% for folks that make their third walk down the aisle will end in divorce. And the researchers found that what undermined romantic relationships was this obsession with finding the right person. This thinking that if I could just find my soulmate, if I could just find this dream husband or this dream wife, then my life would be perfect. 
And then if you discovered along the way somehow that they weren't your soulmate, then the likely conclusion was, well, this person's just not the one for me, so you get divorced. And so when we run into difficulty, we leave. Or in a more Christian response, we start thinking, well, if I had a better husband, then I would submit. Or if my wife respected me enough, then I would cherish her and love her as Christ has told me to. But see, God tells us something different, doesn't he? God tells us to obey instruction for marriage, not because our spouse deserves it. There's no qualification given. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husband if he's worthy. Or husbands, honor your wife if she takes care of you and loves you and cherishes you. No, God calls us to obey his word not because of our spouses, not because we think we're married to Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but because of Jesus, who is the perfect spouse. Both the husband and wife are called to be submitted to Jesus. We're called to obey whether or not the other person is worthy of it. We aren't just surviving in our marriage or managing conflict. Our goal in marriage is to please and honor God. Well, friends, with that in mind, open up your Bibles again to the book of 1 Peter as we look at the expat life. We'll be again looking at chapter 3. And today we have just one verse. Lest you think we'll get out early this morning, there is plenty of great material in this one verse. So open up to chapter 3 of 1 Peter, and we'll be looking at verse 7. Let me read our verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Last week we looked at a word to the wives. We saw that a godly wife is submissive. We saw that this is a joy and an honor because Jesus Christ himself was the perfect embodiment of submission. We saw that submission is grounded in the Trinity, that Jesus Christ, in full submission to the Father, went to the cross in payment for our sins. We also saw that a godly wife is beautiful, that her preoccupation is not with external beauty, but with the internal adorning and unfading beauty of her heart, that her true beauty is a disposition of the heart. It's her attitude. It's her character. And most of all, we saw that a godly wife is hopeful. She hopes, not in her husband, but in God. And today we're looking at a word to the husband. So uh, now as we approach this, don't forget the ground rules that we set in place last week. Right? Do you remember these? Wives, resist that urge to take your elbow and gently nudge your husband throughout the sermon. Resist the temptation to shout out hallelujah, amen throughout the sermon. Now, I love verbal feedback, but today might not be the day to start. Now, I can imagine now, husbands, spend time listening to your wives, and then in unison, all the wives, amen, pastor, preach it. Bring the word. Well, let's, let's calm it down, at least for this week. Next week, you can do that to Josh Manley when he's preaching. All the hallelujahs you want. Now, if you're a single woman and you're here this morning, your ears should be especially open. Because if it's God's will for you to marry, you want to find a man who exhibits the qualities that we see in God's word today. If you're a single man, here is a blueprint right here before us. 
in one verse a blueprint of how you ought to one day, if the Lord wills, for you to treat and care for your wife. So take notes and prayerfully orient your life around God's word today. And again, I implore you to listen not for a friend, not for your spouse, but listen for you. Listen to what God has to say to you and let God's word be a plumb line and examine the state of your soul and your marriage. And so a word to you husbands and a word to me as a husband. We'll see four things in our passage about being a godly husband. So if you're taking notes, here's where we're heading. Here's our outline, four things. First, a godly husband embraces hope. Second, he lives with understanding. Third, a godly husband shows honor. And finally, fourth, he heeds God's warnings. Hope, understanding, honor, and he heeds God's warnings. That's where we're heading. Well, let's start with point number one. A godly husband embraces hope. Now, our verse there starts with the phrase, likewise, husbands. Well, now, now what is Peter referring to here? Well, remember what Peter had just been telling the wives at the end of the last passage, that they must hope in God. That without hoping in God, you know, this is possible. Now, husbands are to live with understanding. They are to show honor and they are to heed God's warnings. And as we saw last week with the wives, husbands are also to image Christ. They are to image Christ's love for the church. Husbands are called to give up everything for their wives. This is an enormous calling. And some of you husbands might be sitting here today just thinking, well, I've already failed. I'm not even close to where I need to be as a husband. My marriage seems like it's falling apart. And it might be your temptation to just give up, to say, I can't do this, can't match up to what the scripture says. But friends, the solution isn't to simply try harder, to gird up your loins, to work hard. No, the solution is to lean heavily upon Christ as your ever-present help. You see, Jesus is the perfect husband who gave up his life for his bride, the church. In him we can have strength. But friends, none of this is possible if husbands aren't hoping in God. A godly husband must first embrace hope. But here's the truth, and all husbands, hear this. You can't have a healthy marriage until you have a healthy heart. You can't have positive horizontal relationships with your wife or anyone else until you clear up the problem with your vertical relationship. You must embrace hope in God. You must embrace God himself. And so if you're here and you're not a believer, we are thrilled. We're thankful that you've come into this worship gathering. You need to know, however, that as you sit here and listen to this teaching about marriage, need to know that before you can work on your relationship with your wife, you've got to get your relationship with God right. You see, there's a problem with the heart of every husband who has ever walked on the face of the earth. All the way back in the beginning, we see this in the first marriage with Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. From the very start, Adam rejected God's rulership over his life, and instead he chose to follow the gift rather than the giver. He chose to worship and serve the creation rather than the creator, and he failed to lead and love his wife well. Adam chose sin and preferring the gift of his wife over God, and Adam's passivity, his self-centeredness, ruled his life. 
Now, the main barrier to hoping in God is this radical self-centeredness of the human heart. The selfishness is the havoc-wrecking problem in marriage, and it's present in every husband. It's a cancer that threatens to kill the marriage and kill your life. In Adam's sin, we see the judgment came upon not just them, but it came upon all of us. Every human who has walked in the face of the earth stands under God's judgment and Adam's self-centeredness. It has become the story of us. All of us on our own are just like him. All of us are sunk. But friends, there's hope. Every week we hold out this hope because there truly is hope in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that though we have sinned, though we have rejected God, though we have failed in our husbandly duties for those of us men who are married, we have failed just like Adam, but there's hope. This gospel that Jesus Christ died on our behalf on the cross, he took upon all of our punishment upon himself. As husbands, he took upon all of our failures upon himself. So friends, this gospel brought home to your heart by the Spirit can bring you joy. It can fill your soul's tank with the glory and love of the Lord. But only if you have that love will you care for your wife in the way God intended. Only if you repent of your sin and failure in marriage and in all of life and trust in Christ to save you, only then will your relationship with God be right. And only then is there any hope for your marriage. Now, men, you are called to reenact the gospel in your marriage. It's your calling. And so you must have gospel motivation to do so. God must be your highest love and priority. If you're not a believer, I urge you to consider this before you listen to the rest of the sermon. Come to God. Raise your hands in exasperation that on your own you have failed and trust in the death and resurrection of Christ to save you. Now, if you're a believer, this is a temptation for us as well. The Spirit's power is available to you. The truth of the gospel is known to you. But unless God is functionally the source of your happiness, your marriage will struggle. If your spouse is the ultimate source of your happiness, security, and worth, then you will freak out when they're not giving you what you want. And you'll just give up. No, you must experience the spousal love of Jesus Christ. Jesus has to push your spouse out of the center of your life. Jesus has to, in a sense, demote your spouse. He has to be your main sense of security. He has to be the main sense of hope. And only when you understand that God has already given you all that you need in Christ Jesus, only then can there be hope for your marriage. No, a real man is a humble man. Who has trusted in Christ to save him. If you're a husband here and you want to have a Christ-exalting marriage, if you want to have an honoring marriage, you have to know Jesus. You need to come to the place when you realize that you are the greatest problem in your marriage. You need to stop pointing the finger to your wife or anyone else. And you need to realize that you are a sinner in need of saving grace. You need to see that on that cross, Jesus substituted himself and died in your place for your sins. No, a real man is not the man that makes the most money, has the most children, has the most fame, or can lift the heaviest weights. No, a real man is one who has trusted in Jesus. A godly husband embraces hope. Pray that all of us would do so today. Well, a second thing that we see in our verse, not only does a godly husband embrace hope, but a godly husband lives with understanding. Look there in, again in verse 7. 
Husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. This phrase means to live according to knowledge. It's not analytical data, but personal insight that leads to loving care. A husband needs to know his wife and care for her accordingly. Now what this doesn't mean is that finally you'll one day be ready to announce to the world that I understand my wife. Now men who are married, that would be impossible, right? To fully understand our wives. No, it would be a miracle. (laughs) It would be. But husbands are to grow in their knowledge of their wives. This involves asking questions. It involves becoming a student of your wife. I mean, husbands, do you really listen to your wife? I mean, honestly, do you listen to her? Do you hear what she's saying to you when she opens up her heart? And can you say without sarcasm, can you repeat back to her what she's saying so that she could say, yes, dear, that's exactly what I'm saying. Now, our tendency as men is to think that good leadership is bold and decisive and doesn't ask questions. And I mean, one pastor I heard calls this show up and throw up leadership. So your wife comes to you with a concern or a fear or a question and you just cut to the chase and you solve it. You, you're Mr. Fix-It Man. You just show up and you throw it up. There, there, wife, I'll show you how to fix the simple problem. And you have three smooth points, maybe even a PowerPoint presentation. Honey, here is how you fix it. You know, what's your wife thinking there? She's thinking, what in the world are you doing? I mean, just look at me and listen to me. Just stop trying to solve all the world's problems and let me share what's on my heart. Or it's the opposite. Instead of show up and throw up leadership, it's flop and drop leadership. Some of us are so passive, we're completely tuned out to our wives that it's almost as if we're not even there. You're physically present, but you're distant. You're not listening to her, and you've made a decision to actually make no decisions. But see, no woman prays in her devotional times and asks God, God, please give me a weak man, and oh, please give him to me quickly. No woman has ever prayed that. Women don't want a weak man, just like they don't want a domineering one. No, neither of these kinds of leadership is what God intends for husbands whose hope is in the Lord. As husbands, we are to live in an understanding way. Now, a godly husband knows what's going on in his wife's heart. He never stops learning more and more about her. Now, he's her greatest student. A husband can't minister to her if he doesn't know what's going on in her heart. So husbands, here's three questions that you should be asking yourself. Three things. Husbands, at any given time, do you know your wife's schedule? Do you know her schedule so you can pray for her throughout your day? Or how about this? Can you identify at least one major issue that's on her mind, that's weighing down her heart, making her afraid or frustrated or concerned? How about a third one? What are are her daily burdens and cares? And what can you do to help alleviate them? Husbands, do you know what's on your wife's heart today? See, many husbands don't have the slightest clue what challenges are weighing down their their wife. Do you make attempts to share words and actions that communicate love to her? 
Many husbands just don't know how to best love their wives. We often think that our wives receive love the same way that we do. I once heard a story that R.C. Sproul was telling about how he likes to get more extravagant gifts for his birthdays and anniversaries. And so one birthday, he was hoping that his wife Vesta would buy him a new bag of golf clubs. But instead of being practical, Vesta came home knowing that R.C. was a speaker. And so she came home with six new white dress shirts instead. And then on Vesta's birthday, being practical, she hoped that she would receive a new washing machine. But instead, R.C. came home with a new white mink coat. And Vesta was thinking, what in the world am I going to do with this dead animal? I wanted a washing machine. See, as a husband, we sometimes think that we're working long hours. We're doing these things to buy her an extravagant house or a car when what our wife really wants is our time. She wants our leadership. She wants our thoughtful care. You know, I've done this myself. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to surprise people or to be surprised. I love surprises. And so I thought, well, everyone in the world loves surprises. And clearly the woman I'm about to marry loves surprises. And so I drummed up the most elaborate wedding proposal scheme in the world. I schemed and concocted and threw in a little bit of godly deceit in the mix and and tricked her and did all these crazy moves and proposed to her. I did similar things on our honeymoon and in the first year or two of our marriage until I realized that, wait a minute, my wife actually doesn't love surprises, and that the whole time I was doing these things for me. <laughs> Eventually, we got it right about six, seven years in the marriage. Now Gloria surprises me, and I like to tell her ahead of time, this is what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Let's pray through it. Let's work towards it. We've finally figured it out. I finally learned how to love and care for my wife, at least to some small degree. Oh, husbands, here's some homework for you this week. Sit down with your wife and ask her one question. I'm going to make it easy for us. I know elaborate homework might be difficult. So one question. Sit down with your wife, maybe after the kids are in bed or or just across the dinner table. One question. What are some things I can do to love you in a more understanding way? What are some things I can do to love you in a more understanding way? Every husband here, every husband, ask your wife that question this week. Tell your wife that you want to love her better. And then take to heart what your wife says. Really think about it. And by the strength that Christ supplies, make changes. Because a godly husband lives with understanding. That's the second point. Well, there's a third thing that we see in our verse. A third thing, a godly husband shows honor to his wife. Again, in verse 7, Peter says, A godly husband is one who shows honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, what does this mean? Now, there's no biblical evidence that women are intellectually inferior. It certainly doesn't mean that they are spiritually or morally weaker. That would mean that men are actually better Christians than women, something Scripture doesn't teach. No, weaker doesn't mean she's an inferior being. Now, there are a couple of other possibilities here. Some say it refers to being weaker physically. Well, it's certainly a possibility. Many men are stronger than women. Actually, the word weaker vessel was used to describe priceless, fragile china, crystal. It's like a man is a big plastic travel coffee mug and a woman is a beautiful crystal glass. Well, which is weaker? Well, the crystal is, but the crystal is precious and beautiful, and a man is to honor his wife. So in some sense, the woman is more fragile, but the text may also 
mean, not just physically, but looking at the context in 1 Peter 3, it may mean not that she's weaker, but that she's in a more vulnerable place as the one who is submissive. I mean, she entrusts herself to her husband to treat her with respect and consideration. In a sense, this is a weaker position, and the husband is exhorted to not take advantage of it. One may be one or the other or both, but either way, the point is that a husband is supposed to honor his wife. Well, how can we do this as husbands? Well, since men, we only get one verse here. I'm going to give us a nice long list of things so we don't feel left out this morning. So I have 10 things that we can do to show honor to our wives. 10 things that we as husbands can do to honor the bride that God has given to us. 10 things. First, husbands, protect your wife. Protect your wife. You can show honor to her by being your wife's heart protector. We need to guard it and cultivate it. Husbands, you are to protect your wife from others, but especially from you. These darts that pierce her heart, verbal abuse, ridicule, scorn. Husbands, think about it. You are meant to protect her from these things, and yet all too often, we are the ones inflicting our wife with these fiery darts. Not only are we failing to protect, we are the ones tearing them down. Husbands, never hit or push your wife. Never raise a hand to threaten her. Never intimidate her and give her that look, that pierced, glazed, violent, angry, don't push it look. Never speak unkind words to your wife. Never yell at your wife. And never allow others to abuse her. Now show honor to your wife by protecting her as that which is most precious to you. Well, second, provide for your wife. Husbands, do you honor your wife financially? 1 Timothy 5 says that if a man does not provide for the needs of his family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Husbands, provide for your wives. Be responsible with money. Live within your means. In fact, live under your means so that money doesn't become a stress for your wife. Well, third, date your wife. Spend quality time with your wife on a regular basis. My first pastor used to say that he'd take his wife out to dinner and they would sit in the corner of the restaurant. And that he would seat himself so that he would be facing the corner, that he would be facing the wall so that he wouldn't be distracted by anything else or anyone else in the restaurant. And he could give his wife his full attention. Now, quality time doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can even be a walk around the neighborhood or sitting outside on a bench to talk. But whatever it may be, take regular time to talk, spend time with your wife. Take time to pursue your wife in physical intimacy. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 regarding sex says that do not deprive one another except for a limited time, devoting yourself to prayer. No, men, pursue your wife. Fourth, develop your wife. Develop her. You don't want your wife to think 30 years from now what might have been if she had never met you. There's an old song by Glenn Campbell that says, These are the dreams of the everyday housewife who gave up the good life for me. Husbands, encourage your wife in her talents and hobbies and take the time and money to see her grow. 
If she's working, talk to her about helping her work in jobs where she's making much of the gifts God has given her for the sake of the kingdom. Well, a fifth thing, be devoted to your wife. Another translation for the word honor might be cherishing. It's a word used to assign a high price to objects in the marketplace. Now, a husband is to convey to his wife in all things that he values her greatly, that she is more precious than anything else on this earth. Now, when you get married, men, you're called to be a one-woman man. You don't cheat. You don't look at other women. You're not a flirtatious man. You're not a man who spends time alone with female friends. You're not a man with a wandering eye. You're not a man who downloads pornography on his computer. But fellow husband, if you are, you are not honoring your marriage. You're not honoring your wife. You are not honoring God. Now remember that when you made your wedding vows, they were not a declaration of present love, but a mutually binding promise of future love. You made a vow. Honor your wife by being devoted to her. Well, six, befriend your wife. Be her friend. She wants to know you. She wants you to know her. She wants you to open up to her. When you come home after a long day of work, she doesn't really want a couple facts. She wants to know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're dealing with. She wants you to be passionate and loving and honest. Many times your wife is home all day with the kids, or maybe she's at work as well, or maybe in some instances she's back home and you're separated. Well, either way, be her friend and be her best friend. Well, a seventh thing, serve your wife. Husbands, honor your wife practically. For some guys, the house is a wreck. It's never finished. The furniture's broken. The car hardly starts. There's no schedule. There's no budget. There's no plan. I mean, husbands, do whatever you can to help out in the home. You have a divine calling to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership and protection and provision in the home. Serve your wife. If you're a parent, serve her by being a great father. Pursue your kids. Spend time with them. Take them on daddy dates. Be their pastor, discipler. Read the Bible with them. Pray with them. Be involved and take the leadership and discipline. Encourage them. And serve your wife with your words. In the words of the incredibly brilliant scholar Faramir, when he said to Samwise Gamgee in the classic Lord of the Rings, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. Now he meant that, he meant that to mean that to be highly esteemed by someone you highly esteem is the greatest thing in the world. Now husbands, encourage your bride. Serve her with your words. One eighth thing, forgive your wife. If you're holding some kind of grudge, remember what Jesus has done. And this is how you can say to your spouse who's wronged you, honey, I see your sin, but I can cover it with forgiveness because Jesus saw my sin and covered it with his forgiveness. It's because the Lord of the universe came into the world in the person of Jesus. He looked upon our hearts, he saw our worst And he went up to the cross and forgave us. And so you can do this. You can do this because Jesus is not making you pay for what you've done. So you don't make your spouse pay for what she's done. 
Now, I have to say that I'm really proud of our congregation. I can point to several examples of church members, several examples of people in this church who have forgiven their spouse. Friends, you are my heroes. I can think of a couple individuals who forgave their spouse for repeated marital infidelity. Not only they forgave them and extended the hand of fellowship, but they were willing to stay married and to love their spouse. Well, friends, you are my heroes. You have modeled in those actions the love of Jesus Christ for his church. Oh, would all of us be like that in forgiving our spouse? Well, a ninth thing. Lead your wife. Lead your wife. As one who is the head of the home, living with one who is to submit, you must lead. You set the direction and vision of the home. Well, what if, for instance, you and your wife differ on certain things? What do you do then? Maybe you differ on size of family or place to live. Well, there's some decisions that in the end you just have to make. Do we move from Dubai? Do we take this job? In a sense, a husband has a tie-breaking authority. But other decisions that don't have to be made right away, be slow to say, I've made up my mind. Here's what we're going to do. And what you don't ever say in exerting your leadership over your wife is, is to lead her into doing something that will harm her or her family. If you see your wife doing something or going the path that presents harm, you stop and lead her away from that. But you don't overrule your wife just to get your own way. You know, my wife wants a blue car, and I want a black car. We can't agree. But what you don't say in that moment is, well, I'm the husband, so what we're getting is the black stallion. Don't do that. You don't exert leadership just to get your own way. In fact, as the Bible is concerned, if you want to exert authority, you go ahead and get the blue car. Because the Bible says you exert authority like Jesus did when he set his face toward Jerusalem. He knew that he'd be executed for his bride, the church, and he went lovingly and laid down his interests for the church. If you can't agree, you, the husband, have to decide what's best for the family. But be slow to use this authority. Seek God's wisdom Take time to pray. Take time to wait. Continue to talk about it. Seek wisdom. Even more importantly, a husband should be leading his wife spiritually. He should be pointing her to Jesus through prayer and reading God's word. A husband should initiate spiritual conversations that help his wife grow. I love how one couple in our church on most mornings goes walking around Safa Park together just to pray, to pray for each other, to pray for their needs, to pray for members of this church. Men, it doesn't have to be something elaborate or complex, but pursue Christ together with your wife. Well, and tenth, finally, husbands, die for your wife. Matthew 16 says, whoever wants to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Ephesians 5 says that a husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Husbands, we are to go to absolutely any length to love our wives and see her look more and more like Jesus. You may never be called to physically give up your life But there are a thousand ways you can sacrifice your self-interest for her each day. 
Because there's no selfishness in the love Christ has for the church. Jesus has never abused, tyrannized, exploited, or belittled his bride. A husband is prepared. A godly husband is prepared to give his life for his wife. We do whatever it takes to prepare them for heaven by imitating Jesus through sacrificial service. No, husbands, your marriage is your greatest ministry. There's no greater ministry that you have or will ever have than you have with your bride. Husbands, Jesus frees you to love your wife because he loves the church. You will find joy and happiness when you grab a hold of this freedom and you serve and love your wife sacrificially. Are you willing to invest all your time, emotion, and resources in your wife? As the Bible says we should be willing to do so and even more. That you should be willing to give up your life for her. Oh men, sacrifice your careers, but not your wife. Men, sacrifice your money, not your wife. Sacrifice your ministry outside of the home, but not your wife. Sacrifice your hobbies, not your wife. Men, sacrifice anything this earth has to offer, anything that looks good, any earthly Riches that you could encounter, any fame, any notoriety, anything you could gain on this earth. Men, sacrifice it all, but don't ever, ever sacrifice your wife. Men, don't do it. Husbands, invest in the home. It's your greatest calling. I once heard that a husband's goal should be to be professionally unaccomplished at work, but to be a celebrity at home. Husbands, be famous at home for being a great husband and a great dad. Let it be the case that when you come home after a day of work, that your wife and your kids are exhilarated to see you, that they are excited that the celebrity of the house is home because they know that he is going to love them and care for them in a way that honors God. Ladies, if you're single and you're listening to this, maybe you're dating or courting someone, maybe there's someone you're interested in, or maybe you've been arranged to marry someone, I'm going to give you a word of caution. Things don't get easier and necessarily improve as soon as you say, I do. Ladies, if you're with a man who's not exhibiting these qualities. Maybe you're with a man who's been physically violent or verbally abusive or has a bad anger problem. Run for your life. Run for your life today. Run for your children's lives. Run for your grandchildren's lives. And do so today. Men, if you're single, strive for these things now. Prepare yourself while you're single. Don't wait. Do so now before it's too late. And husbands, show honor to your wife as Christ has honored the church. It's the third point. But there's a fourth point. A fourth point is that a godly husband heeds God's warnings. First Peter gives a reminder there that believing husbands should live with their believing wives in an understanding way because they are joint heirs. 
both, you and your wife, if you're believers, you are destined to heaven. All of us as believers, husbands and wives, have stamped in our passports heaven. That's our citizenship. As we've been talking about in First Peter, we're expats here. Together, their wives, we will be in the heavenly realm. You have the same destiny. You share the same heavenly home. Husband, if your wife's a believer, you are married to an heir of heaven. And you are to treat her as one who will enjoy the riches of heaven one day. We will be equal recipients of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. But there's also a stern warning, a sober warning in our passage. Peter says, love your wife well or your prayers will be hindered. Does Peter really mean that if I don't love my wife the way God wants me to, it will negatively affect my relationship with God? Well, the answer is obvious. You bet it does. God is saying to husbands, if you're going to neglect your covenant obligations to her, don't come into my presence claiming my covenant obligations to you. Now, you can't say, I hate you to your wife, and then say, I love you, Lord. Now, how you treat your wife directly affects your communion with God. Let me say that again. Husbands, how you treat and love your wife directly affects your communion with God. I mean, so concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interprets his fellowship with them, that he interrupts his fellowship with them when they're not doing so. Now, some of you men might be using your authority in marriage to be verbally or physically abusive. You need to know that these words in 1 Peter is God's rebuke to you. And feel the fear of God in this moment. And God is opposed to you. If you're not loving your wife well, your prayers are hindered. He will not bless you if you're not caring for her and cherishing her. Oh, friend, turn from that sin. Repent. Repent today before the sun goes down. Tell your wife that you are sorry for blank, for whatever it is, and be specific. And don't wait. Talk to her today. Talk to her as soon as the service is over and repent Confess your sin. Apologize. Husband, your relationship with God depends on it. And you can't be a lousy husband and at the same time enjoy rich communion with God. I mean, do you see that right here in the text? And friends, I don't see that lightly. I trembled at the thought of that this week. As I walked around Dira praying for this service last night, I just trembled at the fact that the way I treat Gloria, the way I love and cherish Gloria, or the lack thereof, hinders, affects, and interrupts my relationship with God. Your husbands, do you see that? That if you're unfaithful to your wife, you are not in fellowship with God. Your relationship with God has been blocked. The literal translation, there is a military term for an army digging a trench in a road to stop the enemy's advance. You won't get to God with your prayers. Oh, husbands, I plead with you today. 
If you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, you can't enjoy communion with God. Hope in God. Live with understanding. Honor your wife and heed God's warnings. For some of us, this means making radical changes in our marriages. For some of us, this means radical means making radical changes today. You might need to sit down your wife, maybe through a few tears, ask for her forgiveness for whatever you've done and how you failed in this regard. Do that quickly. Well, in closing, I heard a story about a man who called an exterminator with a problem in his house. He asked for help with a skunk that was stuck in his house. The exterminator, he rushed to the house. It was a beautiful home. The couple had built this big mansion. It was this huge villa, not knowing the whole time that a skunk was hidden in one of the walls. And so they entombed the skunk. And he died and began to be decomposed. And so in this mansion, you had the permeation of this dead skunk. I mean, if you were visiting, you'd drive up to this mansion, you see the beautiful fountains, the beautiful front door, and you'd walk through and whoa, it was everywhere. Skunk in the walls, skunk in the couches, skunk in the refrigerator, skunk in the shower. Skunk was everywhere. They had to find the skunk and then tear down a large portion of the house. Husbands, this is how your life is if you're mistreating your wife. No matter how you've built your marriage, no matter how it started or how good it looks on the outside, you you can be all smiles on Friday morning, you can keep up appearances, but inside there's a dead skunk affecting everything in your life. Your marriage is affecting all other relationships, including your relationship to God. You've got to fix the problem and get rid of the skunk. Fellow husbands, destroy any part of your husband that's not honoring God. Heed the instruction of the Lord. Cherish your wife in a manner worthy of the gospel. And love your wife as Christ loved the church by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, come before you praying for the husbands in this room. Oh, that we would be obedient to the vows that we made to you. In some cases long ago, and other cases rather recently. We pray that the men of this church would pursue their wives with understanding and kindness. Father, would we lead our wives to you? Would we, the men of this church, be ready to die for our wives? Oh, Father, would we forsake anything this world has to offer to love and care and cherish the one whom we've made a vow before you? whom we've made a promise to love until death do us part. Oh, Father, we pray for us as husbands that we would honor God. We would honor you. Oh, Father, we pray for future husbands in this room. Pray that you would be preparing them for a lifetime of ministry in marriage. Oh, Father, we pray for the wives in this church, maybe those that have been hurt by us, Oh, we pray that they would be forgiving and gracious and kind when we co- go to repent and confess to them even today. Father, we pray for radical reconciliation in the home. 
We pray that we can look back decades from now and say Dubai and the UAE was a sacred place for our marriage. God, that our marriages improved, that our marriages turned a corner when we moved to the Arabian Peninsula. That you in your grace brought us here to this desert place to open up our marriages to an oasis of life. Oh, Father, we pray for a radical reconstruction in our home. Oh, Lord God, would we destroy any part of our marriages that are not honoring you? Oh, God, would we do whatever it takes to show the love of Christ for his church in our homes? Oh, Lord God, help us as Redeemer Church of Dubai Love our spouse and love you in the way that shows the greatness of Jesus to the world. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.